We are live from the great state of Tennessee, the birthplace of crystals, White Castle, and Honey Buns. I'm your host, Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoid, the podcast where we break down conspiracy theories and unsolved mysteries and separate fact from fiction. Got a lot to cover today, so we're going to go ahead and jump straight into the story. So this is a story that you may be familiar with, especially if you're older than me or way older than me. You probably do know this story. I honestly had never heard of this until this year, but there are there's a Netflix thing about it, a lot of podcasts about it. I think CNN did a special on it. So you may know a lot about this case. Hopefully I can cover some things today that are new to you. But we go to Boulder, Colorado in 1996. We have a very well-off family that, from what we know, was friends with some police officers, friends with the DA. They had some friends in high places. And depending on who you believe, they use these resources to get what they wanted. And the question at hand today is, how far would you go to protect your family? Specifically, how far would you go to protect your kid? Even if your kid may have hurt another one of your kids. This is the story of John Benet Ramsey. Hello, I'm Patsy Ramsey. Daddy's not here, but this is Jean Bonnet. She's four, Burke is seven, and we'd like to welcome you to our home and wish you a very Merry Christmas. Just to give some quick background on this family, Jean Bonnet Ramsey was born in 1990 in. Atlanta, Georgia, and she was the youngest of two kids, with the oldest being Burke Ramsey, who we'll talk about later. The parents were John, who she was named after, and Patricia. And this was a very well-off, very wealthy family. John Ramsey was a businessman who was the president of Access Graphics, who was a computer sister co- computer system company that was eventually joined with Lockheed Martin. So talking like millionaires, like very affluent, very well-off family. And not that only wealthy families do beauty pageants, but the majority of wealthy families do participate in it. And John Bonet was really, really good at it. Assuming, you know, some kids just have like that stage like they don't get nervous they just have that glow on the stage and John Bonet was one of these she won the titles of America's Royal Miss Little Miss Charvelo Little Miss Colorado Colorado State All-Star Kids Cover Girl and National Tiny Miss Beauty and John Bonet's mom was that Typical, you know, you see it on the those TV shows. Have you ever watched those TV shows about the little girls that are like models or whatever, how their parents are like really pushy about it and basically make it their life of their own? The mother, Patricia, was really, really like that. And that kind of plays a part into what happens later on. So there's a little bit of background. Basically, you got this very wealthy family that was originally in Georgia. And they moved to Boulder, Colorado, a little bit, I think a couple of years after she was born. So let's jump into 
this exact night. We'll jump to December 26, 1996. And according to statements, Patsy realized her daughter was missing after she found a two and a half page handwritten ransom note in the kitchen. And I will read this verbatim because this is why there's a lot of things wrong with this case. But one of the biggest things wrong with this case is this ransom note that makes absolutely no sense. So I'm going to read this real quick. It says, Mr. Ramsey, and just so you know, this letter was addressed to the wealthy father. So it says, Mr. Ramsey, listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign faction. We do respect your business, but not the country that it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be $100 bills and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attached to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early, we might call you early to arrange an early delivery of the money, hence an earlier pickup of your daughter. Any deviation of my instructions will result in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. If you alert bank authorities, she dies. If the money is in any way marked with or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned, we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good Southern common sense of yours. It is now up to you, John. Victory. Now, I know that was super long, like super long, but hopefully you caught the drift of that. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. The note demanded $118,000, which is almost $200,000 in 2020. But the reason why that number is so weird, because who just asked for $118,000, is the fact of that number is was John's bonus. That was his Christmas bonus last year. Keep in mind, this is December 26, 1996. So in 1995, he received a bonus of $118,000, which suggests that someone had access to his account 
basically whoever was involved in this had access to his account or worked with him. And they looked at several theories behind this dollar amount. First, they considered employees of Access Graphics who would have known that amount of John's prior bonus. They also considered the possibility that the ransom demand was a reference to Psalms 118. Why? I'm not exactly sure, but I would say the first one is definitely better. And like I said, this ransom note is unusually long. The FBI told the police that it's very unusual for a note to be written at the crime scene. Keep in mind, this wasn't just random paper. This was paper that was at the house already. So it's not like they wrote a note and then left it there. This note was written at the house. And the thing that's also crazy about this is there was a practice note with the pen and the pad of paper at the Ramsey's home that was in the drawer. So this person, whoever did this, wrote a practice note, looked at it, realized that didn't work, rewrote it, ripped the paper out, and then put the dra- the notebook with the draft back in the dresser. How does that make any kind of sense? Which goes to say the police uh, would say are not dumb. They believe that the note was staged because it didn't have any fingerprints except for the mother, Patricia, and the authorities that handled it. That was it. Patricia and the police, the only fingerprints that are found on this piece of paper. And Michael Baden, a sport certified forensic pathologist, consulted with both sides. And he said in his 60 years of reading stuff like this, he had never seen a note like this and did not think that it was written by an outside stranger. But a federal court ruled it was highly unlikely that Patsy wrote the note. And basically they compared her handwriting with a bunch of handwriting experts and they came to the conclusion that she didn't write the note. But again, only her and the police's fingerprints are on the note. So that aside, we jump to the 911 call. The only people that were at least known to be in the house on that day were Patsy, Patricia, John, and Burke. So it's just the family. There was no other people in the house at that time. And the ransom note contained specific instructions against contacting the police and friends, but Patricia called the police at 552. And we're going to listen to this phone call real quick just to see what you think. Victory. 
Okay, what's your name? Are you Kathy Lambert? I'm the mother. Oh my God! Please. I'm okay. I'm sending an officer over. Okay. Please. Do you know how long she's been gone? No, I don't. Please, we just got out. Is she right here? Oh my God! Please. Okay. Please, well, somebody. I am, honey. Please. Take a deep breath. Please. Away, okay. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Kathy. 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 sure how well you could hear the end of it but if you couldn't hear the very very end then from your end from where you're listening probably sounded like a pretty normal 911 call but the very like last 10 seconds it was very 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 faint and from what it seemed like like I said this is just speculation and quote conspiracy theory but from what it seems like Patricia thinks that she hung up the phone, or I don't know exactly what kind of phone she had, but it didn't hang up. It seems like she thought she hung up, and in the background, you can hear the operator say, Patsy, like asking for her. John says, we're not speaking to you. Patsy says, what did you do? Help me, Jesus. And then Burke, the son, says, what did you find? And you can hear three different distinct voices and you just put the pieces together to who that voice goes to. Like I said, you kind of have to listen to if you want the YouTube, the 911 call so you can really hear. But it's pretty clear that all three of the people, the family members are in the room. She thinks that she hung up the phone, but she did it. And she says, what did you do? But the problem is, like I said, you have to listen to yourself, listen to it real close for yourself to understand but it's very very faint and it's hard it's not really something concrete you can use in court it's that's what it sounds like she says but there's really no actual proof clear-cut proof that that's what she said so the police come and that's where everything kind of goes weird the problem is the forensic team, the police, they all initially believe that the child has been kidnapped. So John Bonet's bedroom was the only room in the house that was cordoned off, you know, to stop any kind of contamination. No precautions, no nothing was taken. No evidence, no nothing was taken around the rest of the house. The focus was on her room because they assumed the intruder would break into her room, kidnap her, and leave the prince. Like That was the thought. It's just an intruder, and they didn't take any other precautions. So it's not until the detective shows up. This is about 1 o'clock. The detective shows up, and he asks the father, John Ramsey, and a family friend to search the house and see if they see anything unusual. Where do they go first? They go to the basement. And John opens the latch door. And I guess nobody decided to go down there until now. But John and his friend goes down there. And in the basement is his daughter's body in one of the rooms behind the door. John Benet's mouth was covered with duct tape. And a nylon cord was found around her wrist and neck, and her body was covered by a white blanket. 
John written in, this is what makes things even weird. He finds his daughter in the basement. He picks up the child's body and takes it upstairs to the police. So more crime scene evidence is now contaminated because she is now you don't touch the body. You don't picked it up. It's not where it was left. And I don't know. I'm not I don't know what I would do if I saw my child in that situation, but it's hard to say. I don't think it's anybody's initial reaction to pick them up and take them to the police. So especially if you're a millionaire, I'm assuming he's a tech guy, he's kind of smart. You know not to mess with a crime scene. Like, I just don't know. Well, I guess we'll get into it later. Why did he pick her up and not leave her there and have the police be brought down to see where she was at? But we'll get into that later. The autopsy showed that John Bonet had been killed by strangulation and also had a skull fracture. The official cause of death is asphyxia by strangulation associated with head trauma, basically. There was no evidence of any kind of sexual assault or any kind of thing to do with that. It was all just mainly from the head injury and the neck injury. The autopsy did show that a vegetable or fruit, which seems to look like a pineapple, was the last thing that John Benet Ramsey ate. Why is that a random detail? We'll get into that later. But the last thing that she ate, apparently, was a pineapple. However, neither John nor Patricia said they remember putting a bowl on the table or giving John Benet pineapples that night before she went missing. But the police did say that John Bonet's nine-year-old brother, Burke's fingerprints were on this bowl. Like I said, I'm just kind of giving you small details, stuff that may not make sense, but it'll all make sense here in a second. These police investigators have been doing this for years, if not decades. They're not dumb. So after kind of all this weird stuff happens, picking up the daughter... They're in their minds are like, so your child is missing and you did not check the basement. That means you didn't check every single part of the house before calling 911 or even after calling 911. Why didn't you check? I mean, if your child's missing, you're going to check every single inch of the house and you just completely just didn't avoid the basement. So the police are sitting here like, OK, something doesn't make sense. So they start digging in on John and Patricia. But the problem was, like I said, they started the case initially as a kidnapping. So walking around the house, only blocking off the room, they contaminated so much evidence. And they also say that the technical staff and detectives on the case were not experienced. So this also caused a huge delay. And two of the lead investigators on the case had opposing views Lou Smith and Steve Thomas, they were the lead investigators on this, and they were on complete different sides. Smith believes that the investigation had incompetently overlooked there actually being an intruder. But Thomas, Steve Thomas, believes that the DA office interfered and failed to support the police, a.k.a. conspiracy that the police are in on this. To help cover up what really happened. So both 
lead investigators feel like nothing is going on. They're not getting the answers that they should be getting, so they resign. In 1998, there was a grand jury brought together indicting the Ramseys' parents on charges related to the case, but it didn't go through because there was not any reasonable doubt that was needed to have any kind of criminal conviction. So the parents are officially Scott are off free because there's basically not because they people believe they're innocent, but because there's just not enough evidence. So that leads to what exactly happened to John Benet Ramsey? Because after the parents were all free, like I said, they never did any kind of investigating on the intruder theory. So they had nothing to go off on. The case goes cold. And we still, to this day, here in 2020, do not have an answer. So there are a ton of conspiracies on this. I'm going to cover basically the three main ones. But as far as who actually did this, if you are a part of the intruder theory, there's... I think I saw a list of like 20 people that are basically could be a, a part of this. I'm just going to go ahead and say I'm not on the intruder theory, so I'm not going to waste a lot of time with this, but we will discuss it for a second. The first person that really what they dialed in on was the neighbor, Bill McReynolds, who was the neighborhood Santa Claus. I don't know what that means. I guess he was the guy that walked around pretending to be Santa Claus for the kid. Second, there was a man named Michael Heloff who died in a suicide right after John Bonet died. But there was nothing to actually link him to this, but it was just, I guess, suspicious that this guy submitted suicide right after John Bonet. So, like I said, there were two different lead detectives on this case that had two different theories. Smith, the one that was on the pro-intruder theory side, said that there was actually evidence that concluded a crime had been committed, I guess, by intruder. On the night John Bonet was missing or was killed, there were two windows that were slightly left open to allow electrical cords to pass through because they had Christmas lights outside. So there's two lights. So it was two windows that were slightly open that could have easily been broken into. There also was a broken basement window. Remember, that's where she was found. And one door was unlocked. So according to Smith, his theory is that someone entered the Ramsey home through the broken basement window. Now, the big thing about this is there was a cobweb on this window. So let's just say spider web. So, and this is a very small window. Anybody knows basement windows knows you basically have to squeeze through this and you, uh, a human of any size can squeeze through it. But if there's a cobweb in front of it, he would have had to have broken this cobweb or this spider web to get through this window. But as upon investigating the basement, the spider web on the window is still completely intact which kind of makes you think using logical reasoning or common sense 
that nobody actually went through this window. But he strongly, strongly believed that. So there was also 100 burglaries in the Ramsey's neighborhood months before. There were also 38 registered sex offenders living within a two-mile radius. And like I said, there's within there's like a conspiracy between behind, behind like 38 all 38 of these people. They all did weird. I mean, they're sex offenders. They've all during that time were doing weird, creepy stuff, and it could actually have been one of them. But this is one of those few times that I actually chalk this up to coincidence. I don't think there was an intruder. But there's plenty of, like I said, if you want to go down this rabbit hole, there's plenty of things out there that could give you the hope that that actually was the case. Something that is interesting is in 2006, John Carr, a 41-year-old elementary school teacher, was arrested in Thailand and he confessed to murdering John Benet Ramsey. But this turned out to be a false accusation. There was no evidence or anything linking Carr to the crime scene. And his confession was basically just saying generic basic facts that anybody that used Google could know. He couldn't give any kind of actual real details about the house or anything that would make it really believe that he did it. And like I said, I've talked about this in previous episodes. There are false confessions happen all the time when it comes to like Ted Bundy, Dahmer, the, I mean, just tons of the biggest cases out there. There's people that call in and confess and they're not the ones that did it. Most of the time it's people that are, want to go out with a bang. Like there's weird people out there that are like, well, I want to be remembered. Even if I didn't do it, I want to be remembered in history like Ted Bundy and Dahmer and all these people are. So from what we know, this guy actually didn't do it. So now let's dig into what the majority of us true conspiracy theorists believe. And is that the family member, a family member, was involved in this death. Now, this is not as clear cut. Every single family member is under scrutiny. But I'm going to go over the two that seem that are most popular and seem the most likely. One theory is the mother, Patricia, who apparently, if you use any kind of common sense, wrote the note, did it. And they say that she shrunk John Bernay. Basically, John Bernay Ramsey had a bedwetting episode. So she, you know, used the bathroom in the bed. And Patricia. Like I said, going back, this is important, going back to the, she was that crazy show mom that was like really hard on her daughter and was pushing her to be like the best beauty pageant woman. Like she was that person. So they say she had a rage after John Bonet wet the bed and then they, she strangled her to cover up what happened, mistakenly thinking that she was already dead. I tend not to go to this theory it's definitely possible i don't know if if the there was actually something to show that the there was an accident in the bed or if that's just a random theory but i while it's definitely possible i don't think that was the case now there's the theory that is the most popular theory and 
though this is one of the more popular conspiracy theories of the 90s, once you read this theory, it seems pretty clear cut, but let's see what you think. So basically, I said Burks um, was 14 and John Bonet was six. So she's the youngest, he's the older brother. And keep in mind, we were talking the last thing that she ate was a pineapple, but the parents say that. They didn't give her pineapples for dinner or a late night snack the night before. But the bowl that was out did have Burke's fingerprints on it. So this is what people believe it happened. Burke was eating pineapple and John Bonet came over being the younger, younger sister that does annoying stuff. And she grabbed the piece out of his bowl. He got mad and grabbed the flashlight, which was sitting on the counter and hit her on the head. He finished eating his pineapple, but then she didn't get up. So he went and told his parents, whether both parents at the same time, the mother or the father, we don't know. But they panicked, discovering that she was dead and not thinking clearly. They were thinking, okay, this is our son. Even though he did it, it was a mistake. We don't want him to get in any kind of trouble. So they created this super bizarre, elaborate kidnapping scene, hoping it would lead the police away from not realizing that it was the son. And there actually is some logic to this because the experts did test and show that the flashlight, the mark that was on her head matches the flashlight. So remember... The main thing, one of the big things she died from was the trauma to the head. And the mark on her head corresponds with that exact flashlight that they had. So while it seems like a crazy theory, once you dig, when you dig more into this, you see that Burke was very odd. He had social issues and he was creepy, weird. They said, I mean, just a bunch of different stuff. And I think he had, I think it came out that he eventually had like anger problems, not necessarily like bipolar type problems, but he had a history of anger problems. And I think, I don't, I can't remember, but I think I heard this, that he had actually like, I mean, He's pretty sure he struck her in the past, but that happens with siblings all the time. Siblings hit each other and go too far. So just because he had hit her in the past doesn't mean he's necessarily guilty. But when you put all the pieces together, it's either the mother or the son. And I tend to go with the theory that most people are on that it was the son. He was... Like I said, he didn't mean to kill her, but it was late at night. He was probably grumpy. They had probably been doing brother-sister stuff all day, so he was annoyed with her. And he hit her on the head, just not realizing how strong he was and how small she is. And she ended up dead. And then the parents, millionaire parents, who had to protect their image of their perfect family, covered it up. And like I said, it makes sense because there's a draft of the ransom note in her notebook. Only her fingerprints 
and the police fingerprints are on there and the ransom note doesn't say, hey, give me $100,000, give me a million dollars, give me $200,000. It says, give me $118,000, the exact bonus that they got for Christmas last season. I mean, it seems pretty clear cut to me, but the case is unsolved and it went to court and they said there's not enough evidence. So from here, there's not much you can really do. It just stays a closed case. But to me, this is a pretty clear case. Now, whether the dad was on it, in on it, I would guess I would say yes. But it seems like the idea was initially from the mother. But as far as the strangulation part, it probably was the father, except the mother is obviously strong enough to do it. But that's not really important on who actually did it as far as the strangulation part. The part is, at the end of the day, they were all in on it. The police show up, ask them to look around, and nobody thought to look in the basement. I mean... It's not like we're just talking about the attic or somewhere you wouldn't think about. We're talking about the basement. You didn't go check the basement initially while you were looking for her. It's pretty clear cut, guys. But as I said, I'm not here to convince you. I'm here to give you the information and let you come to your own conclusion. So basically, we have an intruder. We have two options. You have an intruder that pulled this off. And it's still walking among us or maybe passed away, but still walking among us. Or we have a family that got away with one of the biggest cover-ups of the 1990s. That is it for the story of John Benet Ramsey. Really hope you enjoyed this episode. Maybe learn something new. It's a pretty popular case, so you may have heard about it before. But if not, hopefully you learned something new. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Patrick Simpson. Would love to hear if you have any other theories. Do you agree with me that the son did it? Maybe the mother did it. Maybe the father did it. Or maybe you actually are on the intruder theory. I'm not here to judge. I love when people disagree with me and give me different answers than what I have. So, as always, you can hit me up on there and let's discuss. If you haven't subscribed, I appreciate it if you would do that. Leave a review if you haven't. Helps me get seen. Helps grow the community that continues to keep growing every week. Really appreciate you taking some time out of your week to listen to me ramble about conspiracies. So we'll be back next Monday with a very new episode. My name is Patrick Simpson, and this is Paranoid.